0: Hello, and welcome to Toy Power, the podcast where we talk toys and everything pop culture. Hi, I'm Trent, and it is wonderful to have your company today for episode
1: 138.
0: This week on Toy Power, we take a look at the plastic crack documentary. We then jump into a segment on State of the Nation. Joining me today in the Toy Power studio, we've got Ben. G'day, g'day. And Frank.
2: Wahoo, hoi, hoi.
0: All right, and it's time to get into our first segment.
1: I'm Batman. May the force be with you. Life and say forgiveness is divine, but never pay full price for late pizza. As you can
2: see,
0: Now it's been around for a while out there in the United States and possibly other parts of the world, but for us here in Australia, this is a new release coming to Amazon Prime, and we are talking the Plastic Crack Documentary. This is a four-part episode series directed by Guillermo Olivio, and like I said, released worldwide February 2019, but only in about the last month have we seen it pop up here on Amazon Prime. And I tell you what, I was super excited when I found out That this was available Mm. I jumped on Amazon Prime that day and I watched the first three episodes all (laughs) in the first day so very very happy to get into that but this is a a documentary series which really follows two main story arcs um, of the collectors so we've seen shows like The Toys That Made Us that are all about the toy lines This show is more about the toy collectors and what collecting is all about. And we're following the journey of of these collectors. So the two main story arcs we get, uh, the first one is Irving Santiago. And he is a mega collector. Insane. It is huge. And he started collecting toys back in the 70s. This is back when toy collecting really wasn't a thing. Mm. And he was going to all the local Toys R Us's that were clearancing items. And they got to know him so well, they'd ring him up and they'd say, hey... Um, We've
2: got a case of this in. How many do you want? Yep. And he'd go, mm-hmm. all of them. I mean, wasn't he... I think he was officially recognized by Hasbro as some sort of super G.I. Joe collector. I think Correct. it was. Like yep. Kirk, um, Kirk... What's his name? who was a former VP at yep. Hasbro. Like knew who he was. Like yep. that's how, how big this guy was in collecting.
0: Yep. And his story starts off with the hurricane. Hurricane um, that is, I think... Battering Florida, and they've mm-hmm. got an evacuation order of this on the city. He's in a condo, can't do really any structural improvement to it. Can't put up any actual structural things on the facade. On so the windows, it's on and the things, windows. Yeah. So he's yeah. just got to batten down as best as he can. And they they go through his house, and and it's just wall to wall boxes. Yes,
1: it's insane because like that, I've never seen a a pterodrome, Is it? Uh, is that what it's called? The big uh, playset. Uh, before in real oh, G.R. life. Oh, G.I. Joe. G.I. territory. And he's got like six of them, all, you know, lined up <laughs> along the uh, benches and things and they are just enormous. It's uh, it's, it's insane, yeah.
0: The other main story we get to is the character of Justice Curry. And this is a really interesting one. Again, very emotional, very personal. It follows the YouTuber Justice Curry or um, Justin Curry. Talks a lot about, I guess, his addiction so addiction and alcoholism mm. and then his transition almost the savior that pulled him out of yeah. alcohol dependence and brought him into collecting toys but then a very interesting sort of requirement to keep that a little bit secret because yeah, he was in war enforcement found
2: that, i found that really strange like yeah. you know we we talk and we've just had whole episodes dedicated to this and and how we you know, what, how we present our hobby to complete strangers or to, you know, family and friends and stuff. And we're all, for the most part, pretty open about it. And so I found it unusual for a guy who has such a social media presence to be like, oh my God, my workmates have found out about this. Monday is going to be really interesting. And you could see it wasn't even, he wasn't saying it in a joking manner. No. You could see the expression on his face. He was genuinely scared. Now, to be fair, I guess none of us work in law enforcement. It's probably a very different work Sort of place to you know the the places we work, but yeah, I I mean I'm of the attitude, and I'm assuming you guys are as well that it's it's part of who you are. Own it, do you know? Yeah, I
1: mean? oh for sure.
2: Yeah, I went to a
1: work meeting not long ago, and just last week or whatever, and they said, you know, tell me something at work that you want to do, and tell me something personal. And I was one of the first people, and I proudly got up and yep. said, you know, hey. I'm, I'm so into toys. I've got, I, I, you know, share a podcast with a few guys and, you know, rattled on and they, they all thought I was probably an idiot and things, but, but I, I was yeah, very, very happy to, you know, th- uh, announce that uh, and I, I don't care, you know, the, the, yeah
2: I'm out there. Yeah. <laughs> well, e- even just today, a funny side story to that, we were at a, uh, a family friend of, of, of Ali's, it was an engagement party and there were some people there we spent uh, Easter with and it was a little little boy, uh, Max, who was all of like, I think four years old. And I remember at the time, now this is back in Easter. So we're sort of in the in, so we'll start of September now. And when he found out, I started showing him some photos of my collection on my phone. And he just, he sat on my lap and would not move till <laughs> we could swipe through every single photo and then i saw him again today i get him and he didn't recognize me he goes what's your name is it bob i'm like no and i said you don't remember me no i said do you remember my toys and he sort of looked at me pulled out the phone opened the first picture he's like oh, you're the toy man like <laughs> nice <Yep. laughs> so yeah funny
0: no you did look and and i think to justice's curry story it is definitely the, the the people i guess that found out and maybe the way they reacted now they were colleagues you can, I guess, pick your friends, right? And, yeah, and then you can true. probably get a pretty good idea of how you, your friends might react. He was certainly, I guess, anxious at the way his colleagues would react and maybe how they would then treat him. Mm. Um, now, I know you've had the similar experience then, Ben, and you're just like, well, I'm going to own it and yeah, and, and it go is. with it, and that's who I am. So, yeah, it was a v- it's an interesting journey to see that because I think most of us experience that moment where we go, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna own this care. this is who I am, yeah. I don't care, I'm happy to let it out. And I, I definitely remember that point in my life where, mm. where it was a transition to, you know, not really mentioning it when people go, What you do on the weekend, to now going, you know, I went met up with my mates, we we had a few beers and recorded the podcast. You know, it's about it's about toys. I'm not embarrassed at all now. Mm. But five years ago that might have been a different conversation that I had. Sure. So so yeah, they were the the main two story arcs that we got. But we did get a bit of a touch on from some of the industry specialists. You mentioned the the G.I. Joe designer, Kirk Bozigan. And I butchered Bozygin, that name. Bosigien, yeah. But more probably well known in the GI Joe community as Law, because mm-hmm. he is essentially the embodiment of the character Law. So he was the product manager for G.I. Joe. And this is the real American hero, GI Joe, from 1982 to 84, and he did R and D, engineering, and technical advisor for the cartoon, comics, TV commercials, etc.
2: It's not a bad gig when you can make your own character in your products. Like, it's could cool. you imagine, you know, in your job, Trent, you come up with a a, a, a great money saving technique, and you go, "It's the Cucurelli, uh technique." That one. Sorry, I have butchered your last name there, but
0: I did come up with one of those ones. Oh, did you? So, but it <laughs> What's it called? No, nah, I just uh, call it the the, the Trent amendment, the but, uh, t- <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's very cool, and and they had such a diverse cast of characters that you know, well, let's why not let's pull the image of the people we work yeah. for, might as well integrate that into the design. So so very cool. So beyond Irving Santiago and Justice Curry, we got interviews with a number of other massive collectors, mm. and we'll touch on a few of them and some of their stories. But this guy was amazing. This was Gus Lopez and his Star Wars oh, collection. Oh, all the props and stuff? Oh, props Oof. and, and guns and
2: masks and costumes. He had the stuff from behind the scenes. He yes. was stuff that, that only cast and crew were given. The, the Hoffs. And he had cabinets suit. of yeah. it. Yeah. Like, oh unbelievable he even said it's really hard to get a hold of because you had to work on the movie yep anyway moving on i'm like well hang on there's a story there how did you come across this stuff like oh incredible it's incredible and this
0: is as an australian collector Mm. who is so far removed from where this stuff happened where these movies were made where these cast and crew were where the props were you know you just never you'd never be able to get your hands on the death star
1: Nah, you know,
0: no, you yeah. like, no. it's just not wouldn't have been available cl- cl- to us.
1: Closest thing we've got available is maybe something from Mad Max yep. or something, yeah. which um, does you know there that, are that people that, that there are people. Well, in fact, Davey's mate who has yes, the, the museum that's
0: up correct, in mm. uh, Broken Hill, yeah. the Mad Max museum. That's so right. That's that's about it. Like yeah. that's you know Priscilla Queen the Desert yes. or something yep. like that. Maybe. But to have
1: these to have these, um, the, you put your feelers out and there's people you know that yeah. have got these collections and these prop uh, avenues to get these props and yeah. things. It's just it's insane. Crazy. It's a
0: whole nother world of collecting that, you know, we, we obviously don't dabble in and just can't. But but Gus, he was the guy, the self-confessed guy, that went around to the garage sales of all the kids and bought their toys. Yeah. So, you <laughs> know, when you go, mum sold all my yep. toys. He was he's like, guy. I'm the guy that bought them all. Yeah. Um, and it sounded like he did quite well out of it. One, you know, helped fund his college because he kind of bought a lot of stuff up and sold it but it allowed him to get into the higher-end collectibles um, by trading, trading up, trading, trading up, up, trading yep. up. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was another really cool story. He had the Death Star, so the prop from Star Wars and yeah. New Hope, and it had all the light-up features. You could shine a light into it, and all the little pinhole lighting would light <laughs> up.
1: And and the... Um... Puppet tree they used for Yoda. Yeah, uh, sort the of stand-in the, puppet. Not, yeah, not the on-screen one, but the stand-in one they used to get the idea of the size and how they're going to sit and wear. And, yeah, 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 pretty crazy. Mm. Yeah, no, that- among other things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. That's what I found with a lot of these collectors is, is that it, in in our case, you walk into our homes and it, it's just a home, and we all have a, a, a dedicated room where you open the door. Oh, here's all the stuff. These guys, it was. You open the front door and it's there. It like was in the kitchen. Every, the kit- are, yeah. Yeah. I think it was um, the the first guy, the um, the one with the hurricane. What was his name again?
0: Irving Santiago. Irving,
2: yeah. And he basically even said, you know, when he met his uh, partner sort of years later, he's like, yeah, I, I couldn't cook her dinner because I had toys piled up on the stove. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like yeah. that's, these guys are, are what I'd term mega collectors in comparison to, you know, to us. A one room, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. Next level.
0: The one I loved, I loved this guy's story. It was just so wonderful was Sergio Goldwag. and he was into the motor vi- motor racing yeah. vehicles. So uh, this very s- specific scale, I think it was around 143 scale or 142, and it was all the old racing cars and and it was in the scale where you can get the little people Men. and yeah, the, and yeah, you know if you got the truck, the truck would yep. fit the cars. Yeah. And oh. it was beautifully displayed.
1: I thought that was so cool, and I loved specifically when you talk about the people. You've got the uh, truck, and then you've got the Formula One car that goes in, in the truck, truck, and then yeah. you've got the guy, the pit stop guys yeah. that you know there that looks like it's changing the tire or <laughs> something like that. That yeah. was just mind-boggling, like yep. to have them all in that same scale and all practical and everything. That just, I, I'm not a car collector, no, but I'm damn, not that but was, it was imp- impressive. It was yeah. amazing yeah. to it see. It was
0: impressive and. The bit I loved, he he was a he had a display beautifully, you know, glass shelves and uh, aisles, yeah. of, of, of displays. But then he goes, I've all, I've got all of these as well in the box, and he pulls one out, and it's it's an old box from the '60s. You can tell it's old, but it's in beautiful condition mm. for the age. And he opens it up and pulls out the car. And he goes, this was my very first car that I got as a child. It's this one. It's this car. And he's turning it in front of the camera. And he goes, this is mint. You know, this is mint. But this is the one I played with. And he goes, yeah. Because the way he played with them was he would just set them up. he just go into the lounge room. And just put that car very gently down there in that spot. (laughs) And then get another one and just set that up over there.
2: He created like these dioramas. He wasn't... He goes,
0: I was never bashing them together. I was never racing it. Everything happened very gently. (sighs) But there it was. That was his... And it was... um, The box was Immaculate. immaculate. And the car inside was immaculate too. And now... His story was obviously the the model cars, Mm. but it culminates in seeing the Batmobile, the The 1966 Batmobile that he dresses up as Adam West and goes around. And he he uses the Batmobile, for his weekend car. Yeah. Like he just yeah. goes, he just drives yeah. to the shops and that stuff.
1: What I, the, the coolest picture though, or the video, was of the scale. Yeah. So he's got the micro machines Batmobile yeah. all the way up through the different scales and different sizes, all the way up to the life-size one. And I swear I've seen that on Google yeah. a, a hundred times. Well, yeah. if you so type in, even, yeah. yeah,
0: if you type in Sergio Goldberg, that's, what, that's the right. picture that yeah. he's known for, yeah. is that every different scale of Batmobile yeah. up until the, the yep. life-size one.
2: Could you imagine just like, I mean, it's one thing him obviously driving that around; that's his thing, and I get that. But you're pulling up to the shops in your car. Oh, there's a space, and the car next to you is the Batmobile. How careful would you be opening your yeah. door so you don't ding the side of that thing? Crazy, like, <laughs> incredible.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, very, very cool collector. We also had Claire Peterson, um, who was a Transformers, Transformers fan, yeah. and she, funnily enough, had a Bumblebee. You know, a life-size mm. um, Bumblebee, the the Camaro.
1: How she had any trouble finding a man is wow. beyond me. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but the conditions though, like, you know, you walk outside, it's snowing and things like, well, yeah. I don't know. That's, that's gotta, you gotta be careful, I suppose, with, uh, uh you yeah, know, using your, your toys packages, and things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: But, oh, I really liked her story because hers was the one where she said she had a partner previously who was very unsupportive of the yes. hobby and, and really sort of, you know, she felt like she had to hide it or he, you know, denigrated her and just went, what are you doing, blah, blah, blah. And she said she she recognized the change when that relationship ended and she met someone who was extremely supportive and she goes, I, I was just happier in myself, yeah. you know. And I think that's, that's something that's difficult to get across to people sometimes who don't understand the hobby. But And, you know, we've spoken at length about our, our wives sort of, you know being supportive in in their own way and stuff and I think that's it's a huge factor and it was amazing to sort of see her, you know, tell that story, I thought.
1: as well as from the opposite sex point of view. Yeah, absolutely. It's not just a boys not just driven a boys club. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, loved it. And the next one was one of my favorites because I follow I've been following this guy on Instagram for ages. This is none other than Bobby's 80s toys. So this is Robert Burberry. Uh, Burberry. Uh, yeah. Burberry. Mm. Yeah. A massive 80s collector. So he's he's one that he's um had toys in his kitchen and things and he Mm. has everything 80s and 90s like you name it he's got a case full with just about the whole collection of that um uh carrot you know toy line but his big passion Mm. his huge passion was none other than the amazing ghostbusters and uh it's um the real ghostbusters yeah. yeah and his collection of wall of mint on card toys is you know, the standees, the prototypes, the you name it, he had it, cereal boxes, <laughs> uh, just absolutely insane. I, I wish they'd spent a whole day just recording and walking around his house because it's, it's crazy.
0: You have to get in touch with Guillermo. He might have some cutting room. I'm sure he does, <laughs> yeah. I, I
1: follow preference? him very passionately on Instagram, but... Um, yeah, his whole house, every room yeah. would be yeah. full of toys, and uh, that's that's the toys right up our alley. You it know? is yeah. like for, for for taste. Yes,
0: you know, I mean, we saw Claire and she collected Transformers, and you go look in terms of the Transformers that's down our alley but yes. Bobby's is is everything everything
1: yeah. Wide you know, variety, yeah. everything you Kenna, see Kenna yep. Aliens and Predator yep. Street Sharks yep. um, you know Robin Hood uh, everything just uh, I huge everything is... I have in my collection yes. pretty
0: much yes. from that vintage he has yes, and then more Right, because yes. I don't have half the stuff no. he's got but yeah. it's an incredible collection and one of the episodes does start off with him and walking through yes. the different rooms of yeah, his yeah. house but yeah, wonderful stuff. And so cool to recognize someone we follow that's on right, Instagram. That's right, that's right. Oh, yeah. there's, the, there's the Ghostbusters wall. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So very good. Uh, very cool story as well. We got, like I said, we had uh, a bit of the the um, guys from G.I. Joe and we got a bit of the information about what it was like to work on the G.I. Joe line and how they did it and so forth. And Ron Rudat, he was doing a lot of the character designs and I think he liked drawing the the beautiful women, the pin-up styles, and, and, <laughs> <laughs> and
1: emphasizing beautiful women, yep, yeah, so <laughs> did,
0: accentuate them. and and so he was responsible for designing the baroness. and they showed the picture that he had. For the the prototype for Baroness, That's and, true, and yeah. they were the 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 Hasbro guys were walking past, or and saying, you can't you can't it's a do kid's that. Toy, this right? is a kids' toy, right? You got to be appropriate here. No mum in their right mind is going to buy that for their son. <laughs> and so, in re- response to basically those comments, he clad her entirely mm-hmm. in in clothes. So, like you know, head to toes to kind of say, well. If you're not gonna let me show some skin, I'm gonna cover sure. her yeah. totally up and yep. give her glasses and all and that. And then
2: sort of Bushijo just went, Oh, we don't have those restrictions. Here he goes. Thirty years later, <laughs> there's a market for that again. It's yeah. not it's not the mum buying
0: for a <laughs> six-year-old boy. So there were some great, great stories like that which were were hilarious. Um, Joel McGee pops up towards I think I think he's in episode four, but he is noted as the world's biggest Disney collector. Mm. And what he had amongst Uh, an incredible collection was a lot of the theme park items so actual parts of when they were taking down disney or revamping disneyland or changing changing it up and yeah yeah. he would have a lot of the stuff they were going to throw out or or discontinue so i'm not really familiar with disneyland i've never been so i didn't didn't recognize them but interestingly he was saying until he was a lot older he'd never been to a disneyland himself but walt disney did a lot of shows where he'd show you the park being built so he felt like he knew disneyland even Mm. though he kind of never been there cool but he had a a poster collection which was the only complete poster collection of these disney posters in the world and and in fact they've zoomed in on one particular poster where he goes there's only one other known version of this poster and it's in very bad condition. Hmm. And his was basically in in mint. Yeah. So no, these are know. just getting to that point where you, you, you've you got... And he was going around pointing out a lot of things. I think Irving came to kind of interview him and, and walk through the house with him. And he was pointing out things, you know, toys going, that is the only one known in the world to be mint in box <laughs> like that. You know, toy. he had a lot of toys from the 60s and 70s. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, again, he had a, a bat cave like... um. You know, the, the figures were just PVC or or non-articulated mm. figures, but full back cave with little plastic figures that you could pose. And it, and they were saying look, it was all imagination because yeah. you only had the one pose. Yep. So you just had to create it with yeah, mind. That's right.
2: in your mind. Yeah, in your mind, absolutely. Yep. Probably the other one that jumped out to me was the uh, uh, Vicky... Um, oh, I haven't got it. Vicky Pechner. Pechner, yeah, that's the one. Uh, stood out one because she's one of the few sort of females in the series but star trek one of one of my loves and uh, apart from uh, an amazing collection and again in in multiple rooms in the house and stuff i kind of liked her attitude one of the questions posed was what happens when you pass away What, what does this go to your kids what happens there and her answer was she goes you know, she goes, some people get hung up on the value of it and, and that the kids then, oh, that's their inheritance or whatever. She goes, I don't really care if my kids sell this stuff for 20 bucks because right now this is for me, right? And the kids can do with it whatever they want. They can throw it, give it all away, throw it away, whatever. Because right now this is this is my collection and I'm doing this for me. I'm not doing it for my kids. I'm not doing it as a, a future investment. And I thought that was a really refreshing way to look at something often with these things, and particularly collections of this size, people get stuck up on the numbers and the value, and and where does it go in the future when you when you do shuffle off this mortal coil? And I thought that was a really great attitude. She's like, oh, when I die, it's their problem. Yep. Like, do with it what they will. Like, amazing. I thought.
0: And interestingly, she was dating Irving yes. Santiago. Yeah. So correct. Yeah. Um, who had changed a lot of his ways around. You know, he he knew he had to rely. I think he had that near death experience with the hurricane. Mm.
1: He, well, he had a bum ticker as well. He had a heart yeah. attack. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah.
0: So he had to kind of, you know, work out what to do with it. And and his was of such a volume, mm. he didn't want it to be a burden on his family. You know, he had an elderly mother. Because
2: I mean, it would have been. Can you imagine? Mm. You know, when when and some of us have experienced when elderly relatives pass on. I've had that when my my grandfather was a hoarder. Unfortunately, it wasn't. Toys, it was it was tools and he had entire sheds full of brand new drills that were just still in the box and it became a, a, a family project to get yep. through all this stuff and work out what to do with it. Same thing with this.
0: Yeah. yeah, it'd be very hard hard to deal with and he acknowledged that and he was working through it. And one of the episodes was his online auctions and there were some great scenes. Uh, yes. Credit to Guillermo here in terms of his directorial skills where his son was going through just adding friends Adding, adding people to this thing and it was just him literally click, 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 click because of the amount of people that were coming through yep. and wanting to be part of these auctions and it was very cool. One of the cameramen bought yeah, a... bought a uh, Dick Tracy. Tracy Min- yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh,
1: nice. very cool, very cool um what was i gonna say and shout out to the my wife is going to kill me boys yeah, uh, yeah they featured on there they featured on there they're um they've been talking up this uh show for a long time and it's cool to get a bit of a realistic feel of uh how um you know us as podcasters express our passion and things so they they look at the lighter heart of collecting and they do the um you know what's uh what do they call it it's oh, they've got a um, certain name for their oh the
2: uh toy drama, toy drama. Yeah, that's yeah. the word, yeah, <laughs> toy
1: drama and things. So they did an expression on that and things, and uh, it's just cool because uh, you know we we do it here in Australia. We've got our sort of uh, connections and things, but they've got you know connections to movie people and yeah, and you know insane. actual creators and the Four Horsemen and things. So pretty cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I like that aspect of it and uh, a few jokes and things. And then they, um, at the end of the series, they summed it up with a, a bit of a mystery box. Yeah. What they thought was uh, might be Indiana Jones uh, sealed box. Mm. Uh, 1982, um, Kenner? Yeah, of of multi, multi-figures. So not just one oh, figure. It was okay. a box full, a shipper case. box full of uh, It was a case. Figures. Yeah.
0: Never opened. So still in the original, it still had the original tape yes, on it. Yes, yep. But it was unmarked. So there yep. was no printing on yep. it at all that right. indicated what might be in there. So... Uh, they basically took the tape off, opened it up, and that's how. And, and, four it's four it's black. Oh,
1: and it's these guys black. are like AFA grade, graders. so they, they, oh, they've you know got, got the, the surgical gloves. gloves on and <laughs> things ready to have a look inside. And whatever comes out of that box is pr- pretty much going straight into a plastic hard yeah. case sure. yeah. and uh, rated at un- uncirculated. uncirculated yeah. And uh, depending on the condition of the inside toy, uh, might get up, upwards of te- a rating of a hundred or something yeah. maybe. So, but we, you know, this is season two. We're now waiting for. So, yeah, uh, is is a
2: season two happening? I'm
1: not, I haven't heard anything, but mm. I really hope they do. Uh, yes, uh, Guillermo has a lot of other projects that he works on. This right. is sort of a a uh, side project that he, yeah. I think, he did for his own passion because he's a huge GI Joe collector. Yes. so that's why we got so much GI Joe community okay. aspects of the in into the show. Uh, but I I think it's going to be interesting, and and yeah, I like the one guy we didn't mention was the big. T- Ninja Turtles collector, but he was also a hardcore uh, Cabbage Patch yeah. doll yes. collector, and that was so fascinating. Like yeah. subtle differences. He's, you know, to me, it's just oh, That just looks like another Cabbage Patch doll. But he's saying this is the only, you know, prototype around. Yeah. Look at this squishy mm. thing, and <laughs> he's, you know, the color of the uh, doll itself. The only um, dark skinned uh, Cabbage Patch doll, and things yeah, with like that
0: particular face.
1: Yeah, and he's got tattoos. Right down to his uh, wrists and things, like a a bit of a burly biker-looking guy, and yet he's such a a, one of the the, the most hardcore Cabbage Patch Doll collectors in the world. So yeah, pretty crazy. But he's also got a a, he's massive, massive turtles fan, as far as I'm aware. Uh, But I think they sort of wanted that Cabbage Patch Doll aspect because you know just to show a bit of diversity, which I really appreciated. So
0: yeah, no, it was good. It was good. You know, like. You know, we said Bobby's was probably the most up our alley, but I loved hearing all the stories from the the cars to the Disney theme park. The, the and... girl
1: that collects My Little Ponies—that yeah. yeah. was pretty insane. Like she she'd done that since she was uh, a little girl. Oh, and she entered the competition. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I and mean, when she got nothing for it or yeah. something, how did yeah. she second get? Did she got second? second. Like really?
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. What did we think about the fact this was sort of collector focused, and we've talked a little bit about some of the issues people faced. Um, you know, what, what we do when we pass away, the, the mega collectors, the coming out to your, to your friends and colleagues, that this is what you do and this is mm. what you enjoy being yourself. Um, the time that you spend, that was sort of another theme that came out with, and I've heard the My Wife's Gonna Kill Me guys talk about it. Um, you know, when it becomes a, a big investment, not only with financial, but with the time that uh. you spend doing these things. To, to the exclusion of other things. So there were it was sort of, it was sort of a lot deeper than I thought this was going to go yeah. when I started watching, and I thought it actually made me think a lot more about my collection and what it means to me than I I was going in just Prepare for more for, of a, yeah. a a popcorn experience. Well, so. that's it.
2: Coming off of you know we we talk about stuff like the toys that made us. This is which is very. Very light in terms of non-toy collectors can watch it and and go oh you know ha funny jokes or whatever it is bong. Um, this is the other end of the spectrum, and I think even we had a question in our uh, Discord from one of our Patreons going, is this wife-friendly per se? Can can the partners who don't collect watch this? And you go look, I, I think the general consensus was absolutely because this is the human side of things. This is this is this not about the toys and how much they have it's about the people and what they go through and whether it's the hurricane or you know what they do when they die and all these sorts of issues you know the uh, justice curry the whole addiction thing i think that was really good we've we've mentioned this before that you know our, our partners and wives attitudes can be hey it, it there could be far worse hobbies and in his case he literally had that really destructive hobby and he's turned it into something positive so yeah yeah it's it it surprised me Uh, when i watched the first episode i was like i just i need a bit of a spacer before i watch this next one because it it posed a lot of questions and wasn't what i was expecting going into it
1: yeah i liked it because you know and you talk about showing the wife and things it's like hey look honey i've got my toy room in one room consolidated (laughs) into one room i'm not that bad this guy guy has to go and uh, get takeaway each night because he's got a toy collection on his oven. Like.
2: <laughs> so, How good am I? You know,
1: you, uh, you think uh, when I see things like this, I think I'm uh, 40 year old virgin. You know, like the um, the movie yep. uh, inspiration where he's got toys in his bathroom and yep. things like that. I thought that was pretty crazy. But seeing these guys, these are real guys. Yeah, that it's are, not a movie. Uh, yeah, it's pretty insane. And but mad respect. Like I, I love. Seeing these people that I've been following on Instagram and seeing the photos of the Batmobiles all lined up and things, and then actually seeing the person behind yep. the, yeah. those photos and be like, "Wow, it's all connecting together!" and uh, definitely not what I thought no. it was going to be going into it. But I like, I really, really enjoyed it for that reason. Yeah. I think so. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, it
0: gets a thumbs up mm. from Toy Power. Huge
1: thumbs up. Yeah, go all and right. check it out. Check Amazon it out. Prime right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, available all around the world, I believe. Yep. Uh, So check it. All right. We are going to jump into our next segment.
2: State of
0: the Nation. It's time for State of the Nation. And this has come off the back of a couple of things that have been going on economically or politically. And we're going to touch on a few of those. The first one has to be the Trump tariffs and what's happening Mm. with the trade war with China. So we're going to touch a little bit on that and we're gonna jump into some comments. I read an absolutely amazing article that shed a lot of light on what's going on here um by one of the CEOs of a toy company, Basic Fund. So I think there was a lot to glean from we've talked a lot about or we've seen a lot on the tariffs, but to actually see it from the perspective of the a toy CEO industry. of a, mm. a toy manufacturer is interesting. And to see some of the late changes that are happening to to that policy and what that means i mean i know working in in industry and working in accounting around when you've got a a, a company that you're in charge of and you need to make investment decisions and policies change or the regulations change how difficult it can be to make investment decisions Mm. where do you invest money where do you manufacture from what do you do with your distribution networks all those sorts of questions and when you've got uncertain things happening by you know, the president making calls on things things out of your control control can have a huge impact on your business. So we want to jump into that a little bit. But I do want to start off with a bit of the state of the nation in terms of Australia. And just to touch on that a little bit, because we are going through a pretty tough time economically here. What happened was, um, just just a couple of days ago, we got the, the GDP for the last quarter. So this is for Um, basically they've looked at now two quarters and it's really sluggish growth. The the last quarter, we only got 0.5% of growth, which is basically almost just stagnant. Um, And we are now talking sort of the lowest growth level since the GFC 2009 in Australia, since the GFC. So Australia's done really well to not have a recession, Mm. but now we've got increasing unemployment and we do have growth really slowing so this is a really interesting dynamic to have almost very close to recession like conditions and we've seen in the toy industry 2019 being the year of the the massive price increases. So we 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 we're, we're starting to get a very unstable sort of or unsustainable environment where things are going to have to give mm. because you know when we talk recession people hold on to their money their discretionary spend goes down yeah, if their jobs aren't secure, they tighten up their spending and that has flow on implications. So I think we're only going to see worse in terms of what stock is out there. Now we've got to jump in. So with that sort of scene set, we've got to jump into what's happening with Trump and the trade war and the tariffs. So my understanding is they were going to place a 10% tariff on toys imported mm. through from China to try and move production out of China. Now this is, we had a question and we are chatting about this during the week before we jump into the CEO from Basic Fun and some of the comments there. I just wanted to have a quick chat about the fundamental principles of tariffs. So why do we use tariffs? Why would a country use tariffs? So really all a tariff is, is making products that are imported into a country more expensive. So placing uh a, a, a tax or a tariff on that good so the ones we're very familiar with here in australia is you know tariff on motor vehicles so up until recently australia produced or manufactured a lot of motor vehicles yep. here so we had plants in south australia where we would manufacture vehicles now holden and ford holden holden mitsubishi, and mitsubishi was here. yeah, yep. yeah. Yep. we had them at uh, ford in geelong so what happens is as it costs you more if you've got high salary and wages and there's manufacturing happening in cheaper countries. Other countries can produce the motor vehicle, similar or equivalent motor vehicle, at a lower cost. So then to import that vehicle in, it starts to impact your...
2: The local industry. Yeah, your yeah. industry,
0: right? It hmm. becomes less competitive. So one way to combat that is to chuck tariffs on the imported goods to make your balance out the prices, balance yeah. out the prices. And,
1: and my right. question was earlier in the week: Who gets those tariffs? So it's the government. Government, is that correct? Yes. Yes. correct? Yes, correct. Yep. Yep. Yep.
0: So, yep. so the government collects that on the on the vehicles. It, it supports and then, the local and industry, helps, yes. and they can they can use those funds, I guess, to yes, um, yep. prop up things. Right. That's so it, it goes into the coffers, and they'll they'll distribute it as appropriate. Now, if manufacturing is there, tariffs really help, right? If your manufacturing is gone, so say you haven't manufactured toys in your country for thirty years, and let's be honest, like toys have been manufactured out of China for yeah. a long time, just
1: about right? ever, right? Exactly.
0: So I, I don't know how far you have to go back, but I know certainly in World War Two, you know, around that time <laughs> there was as manufacturing. As, well, yeah. <laughs> there was manufacturing happening in in America, right? Um, because the war effort took away resources from producing toys. Hmm. And move them into producing munitions, munitions yeah. and things for the war effort, right? So I know back then, but obviously, ever since I can remember, toys have been manufactured in China. Now, imposing a tariff, making it product more expensive to bring in from China, what does that do for US jobs? Now, unless you've got a ready-to-switch-on manufacturing Industry, capability, yeah. ready to go, it's not going to go back to the USA, these these jobs or this manufacturing, it's gonna to go to the next cheapest jurisdiction. So maybe Vietnam or Taiwan or somewhere else. But in my mind, this isn't gonna move manufacturing, at least in the short term, back to the United States. No,
2: it's about it's about collecting money in essence. And and this whole and and we, we may sort of touch on this later on. But this is it feels like political posturing essentially, and it's it's. And I think you've explained it very well Trent but I think there's a lot of a lot of the, the the voter base that Trump is particularly appealing to don't understand what tariffs are and how they work they just go oh yeah Trump's Trump's sticking it to the Chinese without realizing the fact that the the average American are the ones who are going to be have face increased costs yeah. for these goods that they've always bought over the years
0: yeah, It's interesting because politically you can try and sell the story of we want to bring manufacturing back to the usa i don't think that's a reality that's going to happen at no. least in the short term so if you're selling voters potential jobs i think that's maybe misguided by this yeah um, and maybe there's 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 more to it that i haven't analyzed but then ultimately you're right because it's going to hit customers at the end in of the, the day yeah um, and then china retaliates with increased value. and this is the point where i was sort of getting to there was You know, Trump didn't like something that China did. And he's like, well, I'm just going to double the tariffs just like that. And he had his economic advisors advising Uh, against it. And he settled on a 5% increase instead of a 10% on toys. So now toys are sitting at 15%, whereas I thought a week ago we were looking at maybe 10%. So this is the danger. So we now get into a situation where I want to touch on a few of the comments from the toy industry itself. So we've got basic fun... Uh, which is the company behind Lincoln Logs, mini retro arcade games and other toys. We've got their CEO, Jay Foreman, coming out talking to CNBC. And he's saying, we have to keep our production in China, right? Mm. And there's reasons for that of to why they, they believe their best options are to keep it in China. So their, their view is keep production in China. And, and to be fair, who knows what's going to happen in the election, if Trump's going to even stay God, in, if, yeah. the, if the tariff's going to just then be repealed and it's yep. going to go. So we're talking in an unstable political environment where things can change. Yep. So he's though they've obviously thought through things and made the decision that it needs to stay in China. So he, he suggested that President Trump is being too unpredictable. Um to just pick up and leave China so that they can't do that. But 90% of its products are manufactured in China. Mm. And he said, look, as soon as that happens and we start to move, it's gonna put a target on someone else's back. So do you move everything to another country, which then that country brings in tariffs? tariffs. So it's it's a high risk proposition, right? So where, where do you look? Um, and he said basically, without any rationalisation in this trade policy, there's just no way to plan. So this is the issue they've got. They they've got no certainty. Very hard for them to make investment decisions.
2: But given all the investment in the in the investment of time and resources into sort of getting this stuff from China, like these bigger companies, your Hasbro's and and Mattels and whatnot, they would have have these connections for years, right? Correct. Now these yeah. these tariffs come in. Is that realistically going to be enough for them to pull the pin on a, on dealing with a country they've dealt with for years and start looking at another uh, country it, altogether? Or and there's and I think the, the the least the lowest option of that is they're certainly not going to look in the U.S. because the wages are just simply too high. I I, Sorry, I, agree, I agree with you.
1: 100, agree with you hundred percent. It's not going to be Hasbro or Mattel or um the big. Companies, it's going to be the four horsemen. It's going to be Boss yeah, Fight Studios. That's fair. It's going to be um, you know whoever else who's you know sort of up and coming the second or just tier a, companies. A, a very second, third tiers, the, the Super Seven, even you mm-hmm. know the yep. the guys that own that don't have mass retail uh, outlooks. They've only just got uh, online markets, so to speak. I think it's going to be them that are suffer the worst, and the my concern is they don't have the financial stability behind them to uh, absorb that 15% tariff. Yeah, yeah, right. They're going to have to pass that on to the consumer. And the consumer, in a lot of circumstances, even I, I'm i very open to the fact that I can't afford most of the modern toys these days because mm. they're just too damn expensive. And and then to, the, the idea for them to be even more expensive than what they no. are right now, it's, it's going to put even more people off uh, of of venturing down that route of uh, collecting, uh, going you know all in yeah. on, on lines because it's just become like that's not a hundred dollar figure that's that's yeah. a th- that, that cost me fifty bucks. It would turn you people know, off five of years hobby. ago, absolutely, exactly, mm. uh, and uh, they'll go out of business. the 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 third tier companies may go out of business because they're not getting the uh, the consumers buying enough of their yeah. toys. In my opinion, yeah. absolutely,
0: yeah, fa- fascinatingly. Foreman said that basic funds retailers are telling the company it cannot offset the tariffs by passing its costs onto consumers, at least not immediately, right? Now, that's so what they're saying is. So
2: the retailers are telling that?
0: Yep. So basically, your your Walmarts are saying we cannot increase our prices any further.
2: But if that's the cost of the item they're buying from the company, isn't the price the price sort of thing?
1: So they won't take it. Yeah. So. so oh, okay. I'll, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you an example. I'm not going to name them here, but there's a huge uh, liquor store. Uh, you know, uh, man of, a company that does exactly that. If you don't give them. The their price they products want. at that price, they won't stock them. Yep. And even certain things like uh, when I worked at my supermarket, uh, a certain biscuit retailer um, didn't. You know, they had arguments with them, and they said, "Right, we are not off locating, so which means you know, put displaying biscuits on an end or uh, putting them up at the registers or you In know, putting them on a promotion yeah. high uh, traffic areas. Nothing. We're not doing anything for you." To be sold down the aisle. That's it. So yep. their they drop in sales uh, mm. reflected that, and then they like came to the party saying, "Okay, we'll meet the offers." And of course, the the company, the supermarket company, won in that scenario, yeah. uh, and uh, the biscuit company had to, you know, bend to their their, their um. They do, yeah. It's,
0: it's very true. They they it doesn't. It sounds counterintuitive. Yeah. My father in law used to work for. He in fact, he worked for two beverage manufacturers. And particularly with the second one he worked for, I I saw firsthand a lot of the pressure that was placed on the the manufacturer by the retailer. Mm. So we we in Australia have essentially uh, an oligopoly, which is two main supermarket franchises that control the vast majority of, of the supermarket industry here. We have a few other smaller players, but it's mainly the two big ones. And they dictate to the manufacturers what prices they're willing to accept. And if you can't manufacture that price, they'll find someone else that can. Yeah. Right. So this is so basically they're they're telling the CEOs, I can't put a Marvel Legends figure up from twenty dollars to thirty dollars. It's just we we, we just can't happen. stock it at that yep. rate. So. So foreman is sitting there going. Nor, okay.
1: Nor can they buy it at that rate and make the profit amount that they need to pay the wages. You yep. know, their their profit margin has to be correct. So they're not like we're not buying it for, um, you know, twenty dollars and selling it at thirty. No, no, no. We're gonna buy it at fifteen and sell it for um twenty five or something. Correct. You know, like that. Yep. Uh, yep. Because we want that profit margin there, and that's our that's our buffer. If they don't sell, we've we can mark them down and clearance them without making a loss so to speak so yeah
0: yeah Mm. so what what the the CEO is basically saying is if retailers won't accept these price increases that means that you know is it a small or a medium size or even large businesses all over the country that have to basically absorb the tariff? so who's gonna who's gonna absorb it is it is it his company that's gonna have to absorb it is it suppliers in his supply chain that's gonna have to absorb it It's going to have to be the tariff is going to have to be absorbed somewhere along the line because it's not in that margin with the retailer. Mm. So... It basically means that if he's got less money, he's got less money to invest, less money to pay bonuses and all that. So that's the argument, is that it's going to hurt him. It's not just something easily that you can pass on.
1: And also that might mean, down the track, less paint apps, less articulation, less accessories. And and I think that's where it goes.
0: I think that in our last episode, we talked about the, the new Marvel Legends, which is in a new blister card style packaging, no build a figure piece, basic molds that they're reusing. And I reckon this is almost the the foray into yeah. trying to absorb some of those price Cheaper. increases, right? Yep. Um, so I, I definitely see that's where it's going to head. Um, you know, like we, we in Australia here, and, and they get them in the US and probably across the world, where they've moved into like a 12-inch, very basic figure. So you might go in, it's in yeah. a very yep. slim yep. slim window box. The figure's very slim. You might get it in Marvel. You might get it in DC, can, Star Power Rangers Wars. have got Power them now. Rangers, yep. All right? the yeah. And they try and retail them at about $15 to $20, right? And you go, well, that's pretty good value, but they're basic sculpts, yep. they're basic Straight articulation. Straight up and down,
1: yeah. Five points of articulation, maybe seven at the knees. Maybe. Sometimes. Yeah. Some of them
0: have a, a yep. little bit more, but... And that's sort of a very generic sort of figure with not a lot of character, not a lot of accessories, if any. And that's where the market probably has to go to if it wants to produce a cheaper figure and have it on the store mm. shelves. Interestingly, with the the tariffs kicking in, um, JP Morgan estimates that the average American family will lose about $1,000 per year if mm. the newest tariffs that... that and were announced about a week ago, come into effect. So that is the 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 Trump reaction. The yeah. Trump, I want to double it. Well, you can't double it, Mister Trump. You're going to have to go with something yeah. smaller. It's a it's a sort of frightening prospect at the moment. The way this is heading. Now, my mind immediately goes to Brian Flynn and Super Seven and mm-hmm. the new Ultimates that are coming. They were slated to be forty five dollar figures at a minimum based on the outcome of the tariff. So oh, I, wow. think now, oh. I think now they're going to potentially be a $50 figure 50 and that's dollars. going to yep. really that's make collecting those lines very difficult for a lot of collectors. Jeez.
2: So the state of the nation is pretty effed. Is that what we're saying?
0: Well, it's, <laughs> not, it's not rosy, is it? It's... Uh... <laughs> yep, 2019 is a is a pivotal year in yeah. my opinion. Um, look, the market will always adjust. Toys are big business. There will always be toys on the shelves. But, And I think we're living in a golden age for collector-related products. Yep. There's a lot of players in the market. I just don't think they're all going to come out of this Unscaled. unscathed. I think we're going to see a lot of damage done. Uh,
2: we think we're going to move more towards... Uh, like crowdfunding stuff, we saw with the, the Deathlatron figure that recently got funded, uh, who would have ever, you went back a couple of years ago who would have thought Hasbro, the probably, arguably the biggest player needed to do crowdfunding, now granted that's because of scale and whatever, but you saw, you could almost see a future where you know, trying to produce the toys we want to collect, it's just too costly, and so any company be they big or small that wants to do it here here's our prototype's fund us, make sure we get the money first before putting the product uh, out.
1: I think I think anything larger than a regular sized figure will may go down that route. Or even, I know? mean,
0: Super 7 Ultimate's essentially crowdfunded figures. Really, when you think about it, they're all pre-orders. Pre-orders, yeah. So,
2: yeah, interesting.
0: Uh, I mean, they, they probably, they've got their numbers that they think they're going to hit that they almost don't call it a, a crowdfunding. You know, they, they go... Pre-order. But so you're
2: saying if the pre-orders don't hit a certain number, nobody gets the figures?
0: No, I, I don't know the way the Super 7 works. I think their, their production numbers are quite low. So I think they, they factor in they're going to hit the number. Right. Um, I don't know how the terms are written. I think the terms are written that they'll manufacture to that order. Mm. But I suspect that... Say, say they go... Here's Wave 1 of Thundercats. We need to produce 3,000 units to make this viable. And they only get 2,500 orders. They'll produce the two and a half thousand. Maybe they'll produce three thousand and keep five five hundred to try and sell day See off. On, yeah. But I think they'll produce it. But it will definitely impact future lines. They mm-hmm. they, they might go. You know, we're not going to offer any more yeah, Thundercats yeah, because no they just too, weren't yeah. they weren't viable at that rate. So it, it, it's not quite Kickstarter, but it's it's getting very close to. Yeah, I just I just think there's there's going to be a lot of um, people that that suffer yeah. through this
1: mm and I don't think it'll just be toys. it'll be the entertainment industry and the sense of gaming music industry, all that sort of stuff that if you know people are paying more for uh games and things there's gonna be an uproar on that and then it'll just be internet based games and just those free software sort of you know it just that it's so just it's not just toys you know no, it's, definitely. yeah some
2: huge implications isn't yeah. yeah yeah
0: mm mm. Very good. All right. Well, we'll now, let...
2: now that we're all pondering our future and looking at our collections going, ah, oh, shit. One... <laughs>
0: One interesting side effect I think this does have is it does drive the cost of vintage toys up. Because in my view, when you go, I can't afford modern toys, where do the toy collectors yeah. go for their fix? Go back to the old stuff. Go back to the old stuff. And if you increase the demand in the old stuff, it pushes the prices up. So I think funnily enough, it will have an impact as well on
1: vintage prices.
2: This just keeps getting better, doesn't it? I could be totally (laughs) wrong. No, no, no. I I, I agree. I I agree.
1: I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And especially with, uh, you know, oncoming movies and things like Masters film and things, I think the vintage toys will be hotter than ever. So, Mm. yeah. Fingers crossed, eh? Mm, Very good. All right.
0: We'll wrap the State of the Nation. Anyone, time for a shout out. Has anyone got a shout out for Anyone? that has been notable during the week.
1: Chris Fresh gave us a shout out on, right. uh, geek, dudes, on geek dudes. So yeah. yeah, mad respect, thank you.
0: Very good. Did we get picked up on any other pronunciation issues that we've not, had? Not
1: not <laughs> freak no. Darren <laughs> no. got picked up for his knowledge and memories and, Yes, uh, no, that's that's and, fair. I think yeah. Chris
2: Chris was saying, "Yeah, I love my masters not as much as Darren from Toy <laughs> yeah. Power," which yeah. is which is pretty fair. I think we can all relate yeah. to that. Yeah.
0: Very good. All right, on that note, huge Thank you to all our patrons for your support and to everyone who listens in. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate your support and we hope to see you
2: around the Toy aisles. Good journey. <laughs> you can find the Toy Power team at all the usual online places. Facebook.com slash ToyPowerPodcast. At ToyPowerPodcast on both Twitter and Instagram. Or have your say and email us. ToyPowerPodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to the show on both iTunes and Stitcher and please leave us a review. Otherwise, we just assume we're awesome. We are a proud member of the Giant Size Team Up Network. Check out all the awesome shows on this awesome network full of okay people. Want to learn more? Go to GiantsizeTeamUp.com where you can find us and a whole lot more awesome shows. Well, they're not more awesome than us, but they yeah oh <laughs> oh